The mountain goat is a hoofed mammal native to North America. They live in our highest mountains and thrive on ice and snow. Come along on today's Nature Journal podcast to learn all about this elusive creature. Hi, and welcome to the FVCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We are coming to you from the beautiful campus of Flathead Valley Community College at the foot of the Swan Mountain Range in northwest Montana. I'm John Fraley, longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college, and I also served 40 years with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Our producer is the talented Colin Burkhardt, and thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Well, Franz Inglefinger, thanks for coming on today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and so you have the lucky job of managing mountain goats in northwest Montana. And it's a pretty awesome job, but it can be dangerous, and we'll get into all that. So tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. You know, I've had the privilege for the last 20 years to work as a wildlife biologist across the U.S., I studied at the University of Wyoming, where I, along with a team of other biologists, looked at the impacts or potential impacts of natural gas development in sagebrush ecosystems. Since then, I've worked on a a range of species from songbirds and shorebirds to large mammals. And for the last uh, six years, I've been stationed here in the Flathead Valley working for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks on habitat initiatives. And most recently, took a job as the Kalispell Area Wildlife Biologist, which puts me in some of the most remote and rugged terrain uh, in the lower 48. Ah, yeah, that's very exciting. I mean, this is going to be going to be great in the show, too, because uh, our look at this world of mountain goats will cover the next two podcasts. And in this first show, we'll look at the goat's history of discovery, biology, behavior, habits, what makes a goat a goat. And then in our next show, we'll hear about your helicopter surveys of this high country creature along the spine of our highest mountains. And that has got to be one of the most exciting jobs any biologist could have. So tell us a little bit about Oriamnus americanus. Well, you know, mountain goats, they're really defined by steep, rugged areas in the heart of our public lands. They're species of the mountains, winter, and remote landscapes, including the Bob Marshall and Glacier National Park. Most of the year, they are in small, isolated groups. The billies or the males are usually solitary or in groups of two or three, and the uh, nannies are usually in small groups of five or fewer. But in the summer, after they give birth, you do see them, mountain goats or nanny groups, congregate up in high alpine areas, and that's when we take advantage of their congregation to start to count them and get a sense of their population. And so we have mountain goats that are native to their range, and then we have some that are non-native. Tell us about that a little bit. Sure. You know, historically, we had mountain goats uh, ranging as far south as Nevada, California, even into northern Mexico. But today, as climate warmed, really mountain goats are distributed along the spine of the Rocky Mountains and into Montana, as well as uh, the Cascades, also you know, coastally along uh, northwest British Columbia and into the Yukon and southeast Alaska. In Montana, really, there, we have two groups. We have native populations that range in the western part of the state, and then we have introduced populations, uh, goats translocated since about 1920s, stretching out into sort of central Montana. And like the crazy mountains and stuff. And exactly. So these animals are extremely unusual 
Tell us about the hoofs and how they, I mean, we all think about them, those things running across the cliffs and you can't even believe they're sticking on there. How do they do that? Yeah, so mountain goats are associated with steep cliff terrain where it provides security, escape cover for them. Mm -hmm. And they are superbly adapted to that. And one of the things is their hooves. You know, you think of most of our hoofed mammals, they have hard hooves similar to our nails on our fingers. Goat's hooves are soft and almost have a sandpaper texture. They're like climbing shoes <laughs> that really allow them to, you know, grip the cliffs. And they, they can leap. They're aerobatic. I mean, these animals can jump 10 to 12 feet high, and you'll see images of them really just, you, you just can't understand how they got there. So the one thing i got to say is, you know, Franz, you're kind of a mountaineer, way out of the, uh, above the class of most of us. And recently we climbed Rising Wolf Mountain, and who found the, mount the mountain goat? You did. And <laughs> <laughs> you look just like a mountain goat when you went over the cliffs. Well, and that was in Glacier, but... but yeah, uh, I, got, I got nothing on mountain goats. They are, <laughs> they are superb climbers and, and really defined by mountains and steep peaks. So you, you mentioned the native range of the mountain goats, and they have like the Swan Mountains and, and places like that. But they're declining. Why do you think they're declining throughout that native range? Uh, well, there's several things going on. One is, you know, obviously early on we had uh, pretty high hunting pressure, and they're unique. In, in terms of our ungulates and being fairly susceptible to overharvest, they live in small, isolated populations. The females, you know, have delayed sexual maturity, so they're not giving birth till they are three, four, even five years oh, old. Really? Okay. Yeah, so very low productivity, uh, small home ranges, low dispersal. These are all things that make them very susceptible to both isolation and just decline through these small mm -hmm. populations, but also overharvest. And so the hunting limits have, seems like the quotas have declined yeah. steadily since I kept track of it in the 80s or so. Yep, yep. I think you had unlimited harvest in the Bob Marshall until about 1971. Today, we issue, I think, a total of six tags. So wow. we have recognized their susceptibility to overharvest, but what we found is even where we protected to, you know, closed areas to hunting, they're very slow to respond. And part of that is that isolation and that low reproductive potential, which makes them susceptible to overharvest. It also makes them susceptible to, you know, environmental factors when you see population declines naturally. True, true. And so these, these populations are struggling to recover, so much so that you look at harvest rates back in the 60s at the high, we were moving three to 500 animals a year. Wow. And 90% of that harvest was coming from our native herds. Whoa. Today, we harvest fewer than 200 animals, and I think less than 15%, less than 25 animals come out of our native ranges. Well, let's hope things will get better. But, you know, we talked about social structure a little bit, and I was telling you about the time my kids and I were camping at Upper Rumble Lake, and there's a big snowfield there, and, and right in the you know, late evening, right before dusk, this congregation of goats assembled on the snow bank, and they were running around, and they appeared to us to be playing around with each other. And you, you were commenting on that a little bit about their, their social behavior. Yep, yep. You know, I think we're all familiar with, you know, a lot of animals exhibit what we think of as play, whether it's our, our pets, you see deer doing, you see, um, you know, bears doing as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Doug Chadwick, who studied these animals extensively in the 80s, documented how these are real emotional creatures. So to hear them out there playing is, is really no surprise. I mean, and you also touch on a couple other aspects of their life history. You know, they live in isolated small groups. Again, you know, males solitary or two or three females groups with their kids in groups of less than five. But in the summer, you get these sort of congregation of nanny groups in the high country. 
And so that's probably what you're seeing is, you know, during my survey I saw, I think our biggest group was 14, hmm. uh, which is relatively small. These, these numbers can be in the 20s or more. I'll bet this was more than 20 goats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the other thing it hits on is, you know, these animals are adapted to the cold. They're poorly adapted to the heat. And so you see them most active at dawn and dusk and playing around snow may have probably provided a cooling element as well. And, you know, the other thing to, to think about when you're, when you're thinking about goats is what they eat. And you say they're foraging generalists. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, they're defined by the terrain. They select that sort of security terrain, and they'll eat what's available. So grasses, forbs, so broadleaf plants, shrubs, and conifers in the winter. And in the summer, really what they rely on are these snowmelt-fed alpine meadows and they will basically migrate upwards as the snow melts. That's also one of the attributes that makes them perhaps susceptible to climate change. Yeah. As we see earlier snow melt and earlier senescence or drying up of those, those areas. I mean, you were up in the high country this year. I was amazed how green things were well right. into August. Right. Uh, we had a very cool, wet spring. You know, we had snow in the high country well into July, even August, and you could see that in those foraging areas. It was green, polar opposite of where we were last year, where it was so dry and hot so early. So what's the, what do you see as the main thing? You have to pick one. What would be the main research need for mountain goats? Main research need, boy. Um, <laughs> Putting you on the spot here. Our biggest research need, or I should say the biggest limiting factor right now for mountain goats is our understanding. We know, we know very little about even basic things like population number, the boundaries of those populations, how much intermingling between peaks do we see, what are the preferred foraging habitats, what's the current range condition, mm -hmm. um, let alone mm -hmm. impacts of predation. Mm -hmm. We have a good sense now on what's going on with you know, the need to manage hunting carefully. But I would say the biggest thing we need to understand is movement patterns. How connected are these populations? Because if they are truly isolated, such that, you know, groups on one mountaintop are right. isolated from another, those populations, that effective population, that gene pool is much smaller than it would be if all the goats in the Bob Marshall are part of a big population. Okay, fair enough. And then the last subject, we have just a, a minute or so left. What about habituation? You know, we can, all of us can tell stories. I, I had a goat at hole in the wall, run off with a camera one time, banging your tent, looking for salt, of course, and have had aggressive goats on Mount Brown Lookout and Mount Aeneas, and what, what are we looking at there, and what's the future of that? Yeah, so, you know, goats are on a low-mineral, low-sodium <laughs> diet, and they actively seek out mineral licks and mineral sources. They'll travel through very inhospitable, you know, dense forests to get to these, and so what you're seeing there is they've learned that people through their urine and their sweat-sloped clothing, hiking poles, <laughs> camera straps, yeah. you know, have those minerals that they will risk their lives literally to get. And so it's a lot easier to hang around John when he's, you know, <laughs> uh, at the top of a peak waiting for him to go to the bathroom than it is yeah. to travel several miles through, you know, forests and predators, et cetera, to... And, yeah. when, and when you do encounter one of those goats, you just have to use your intuition and your judgment on how to get around them. And I... I I've done things like run and wave my hands in the air so I might so we can pass them on a trail. Mm -hmm. I guess you just have to use your own your own judgment on that. Well, there was actually a person killed in 2010 in Olympic Park too. So let's hope that's not coming our way. But friends, 
Thanks a lot for coming on. You're doing a great job out there. And then on the next show, we're going to talk about helicopter flights you're doing on mountain goats. Thanks again for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. That's all the time we have for this episode of the FECC Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fraley, and I'll see you next time.